Amen. Father, that's why we're here, because you're good and you are worthy of all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory this morning. Lord Jesus, would you please just uh, come fill us with your spirit, come open the eyes of our heart that we can see wonderful things from your word, um, and help us to truly, truly, with all of our hearts, um, worship you, delight in you, trust you, rest in you, believe you, um, all the things that we just got done singing about that you would be most glorified in us, <clears throat> Father, as we satisfy ourselves in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. If you got your Bibles, please grab them. Go to uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, this past week in our Bible reading plan, we're in Matthew 3 through 7. Uh, we are going to read about two pretty important events in Jesus' life here on this earth. Um, Matthew chapter 3 the very end of it, verses 13 through 17, and then also I'm going to read the beginning of chapter 4 of his temptation. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray one more time. Father, uh, thanks for your word. Um, we need you this morning to open it up to us. We trust the power of your Holy Spirit, the person of your Holy Spirit, to um, lead us and guide us into all truth. Uh, we love you. We thank you so much for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So these two events that I just uh, read about here, Jesus' um, baptism and then also his temptation, are two of probably the most important events uh, in Jesus' life, and they appear back to back in the Gospels, uh, especially Jesus' baptism. Um, there are not a lot of events that are recorded or talked about in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. However, his baptism is one of these events. And there is a lot of uh, theological significance going on in both his baptism and also in his temptation. One of the things that has been a little bit frustrating for me, uh, I mean, it's a good frustration, I'm not complaining, but 
it's still frustrating to me as a preacher, is that doing this Bible reading plan this year where we're just reading through the New Testament one chapter a day, five days a week, is there's so much that we hit on and so much that I don't have time to cover on a Sunday morning. Uh, and so this week, there's so much in these texts, you could literally spend weeks on both of these and teasing out uh, both the truth and, and much of the implications from it. Um, and while there's a lot of, again, theological depth and just a, a lot of robust truth going on here, I just kind of want to frame it this way uh, because it is Father's Day. And that is you have Jesus getting baptized here and what you have uh, on a very simple level, yet it's beautiful and it's profound, is that you have a good father showing up to an important, and to, showing up to an important event in his son's life. You have a good father that is showing up to an important event in his son's life. And, uh, and what I want to talk about this morning is the goodness of the father. And again, we, we just got done singing about this. Um, but guys, the love of God is something that we have a really hard time comprehending. And the love of the father, especially, sometimes is really hard for us to get. And you know, I've talked with you before, and there's a lot, of, there's a lot that goes into this, and I, I won't get into all of it, but you know, so many of us have, uh, you know, complicated maybe relationships with our earthly dads sometimes, um, whether we're men or women, and, and, uh, and that can play into it. Um, but in the end, the reason that we feel blocked from the love of the Father many times uh, is just simply because of our sin. Maybe you did grow up in a good home. Maybe you did have a, a, a dad, a mom and a dad that, that loved you and cared for you. But still, you're not sure if your heavenly father really loves you. Uh, and my premise this morning is pretty simple. I just want to tell you, he does. <laughs> he loves you a lot. He loves you a lot more than you realize and here at the beginning, I just want to, before we kind of get into some of the practical um, implications of the love of the Father, I, I just want to make sure that I kind of pick us all up and get us all on board theologically as to why what the Father here says about Jesus is also true of you. Because again, he's, the Father speaks from heaven here and he says some awesome things and there's a lot going on. Um, but he says it to Jesus, and you're like, is this, is this really true of me, though? Well, and so I just want to do a little bit of theological work and jump to a couple other texts just to help us to understand that if you are in Christ, if you have believed the gospel, if you believe that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, uh, if you are trusting not in your own works, but if you've repented of your sin, of not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and admitting that you've loved other things, and you said, I need a Savior, and you've been justified by faith alone, then the Bible says that you are in Christ, in Christ, okay? Um, one of the uh, uh, things that I've just kind of been studying on my own, just kind of my own personal and devotional life over the last, um, just several months, probably the last nine months or so, a lot of this year, um, is, is this idea of our union with Christ. Um, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the books in the New Testament, let me see if I can do this real quick here, but if you go from like Romans, um, from, from like Romans to, I think, Philemon, you've got, let me 
just try to show you. You've right, like right here, this little section here. See that? That's that. Those are all the letters of Paul. Okay, and if you if you kind of put this all together, depending how your Bible's laid out, or even if you were to put it in a book. Um, just a normal book like we would read and not the double columns like most of our Bibles are in and stuff. You'd have about a 100-page book, okay? You'd have about a 100-page book. And in those 100 pages, you would find over 150 times Paul using this little phrase, in Christ, or in him, or in Jesus, or in the Lord. And so if you've got a hundred page book and you've got a little phrase that appears over 150 times saying in Christ, you might think, man, that's kind of the theme of the book, right? You following me? And this little phrase about us being in Christ, what he's talking about is our, is our union with him. That because of what Christ did for us on the cross through, through, his, on the cross, through his death, burial, and resurrection, when we trust in him, we are born again. And we are now born in Christ. And you know, one of the, the best places that sums it up is in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 2. And you've heard me quote this many times. But Colossians 3 verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He says, you have died, but you're like, I'm, what? I'm not dead, I'm, I'm, I'm here. No, he says, you have died. Why? Because Christ's death on that cross became your death. The penalty for your sins. To the place where Paul states this, not just as some sort of little mental game, but as a spiritual reality. That if you are in Christ, then you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In Acts chapter 9, when, uh, again, Paul, who was first called Saul and, and wrote the majority of the New Testament, as I just said, um, you know, he's persecuting the church, and when uh, Jesus meets him on the, road to Damascus, on the road to Damascus and kind of accosts him there, and uh, he, the first thing he says to him is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's persecuting the church. He's persecuting Christ's people. He says, you're persecuting me. That we are one with Christ, union with him. Ephesians chapter 2 says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Like, Eric, I'm, not, I'm seated at the Amish Country Theater. Your body is. And this is kind of weird, I know, but like your spirit is in you, but your spirit is also seated with Christ in heaven. Just like Christ is seated at the right hand of God, but he also lives in you by his spirit. And I say all that, and I, I don't, again, there's a whole lot that could be said here, but I'm just trying to get you to understand a little bit. And again, like I said, I've been studying this for several months more in depth, just in my own life. And it's by far and away... I think the central theme of Paul's book, and it's one of the richest, deepest theological things that every Christian needs to get, is that, brother and sister, if you have believed in Christ, 
if you have been born again, as crazy as it seems, you're, you are literally one with him. You are united with him. And again, we're coming back to the text now in Matthew chapter 3. The other place we see this is in this brief little discussion that we're led into here between Jesus and John. Because what John came as the forerunner of Christ was to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. And he was baptizing people with a baptism of repentance. Jesus did not need to repent. He was the sinless, perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Well, then why was he baptized? That's the question that John the Baptist had. In verse 14, again, back in the text in Matthew, he says, I, I need to be baptized by you, but, but do you come to me? And Jesus says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness, that right from the beginning of Christ's ministry, and this is, again, right at the beginning. He's not yet preached a sermon. He's not been doing any miracles. Um, he's not yet walked on water. He's not yet healed anybody, but he's about to. But right from the beginning, he is making it clear in his baptism even though he did not need to be baptized, of course, for repentance, for sins like we do, but he is identifying. He is identifying with the people that he came to save. When you and I get baptized, when we every now and then have a baptismal service, we roll out the, the feed trough, which we like to call the baptismal tank, and we fill it with water, and we put people down. The, the big thing about baptism is identification, that you are publicly declaring that you are now identifying with Christ, that you died with him, you go under, and you were raised with him, and that you now belong to him, and as part of that process, you were washed, you were cleansed, you were positionally made righteous in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we identify with him, we get his righteousness, but him coming here to be baptized and identifying with us is because he was identifying for our unrighteousness that he was gonna take all that sin. Yes, we get washed, but he got all the stain of our sin, all the darkness of our sin put on him. Are you following me? And again, the reason this is important um, is because what I wanna look at here in the text, what follows this, understanding what Christ is doing here with identifying with the people that he came to save, is that what we're gonna see the Father declare about Jesus, he also declares over us. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm telling you, if you'll believe this day by day, if you'll live in this, it will change your life. It will change you. Because there's nothing like the love of the Father. And so there's kind of, there's four declarations here. Again, you could break this down different ways, but I, I want to talk about at least four declarations that the Father makes over the Son, and again, as I've tried to kind of build out for you biblically there, that I also believe are true of us, that God would also declare these things over our life if we have believed in Christ, if we have been born again. Here's the first declaration of the Father. Simple but beautiful. I see you, and I intend to bless you. I see you, and I intend to bless you. Here's the first thing that happens. Verse 16, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, and when the Bible says behold, it's because it wants you to behold. It's like, like look, pay, pay attention to this. It says, behold, the heavens were opened. The, in, in Mark's account of uh, Jesus' baptism, Mark uses a stronger word. It says, the heavens were torn open. 
It's a, it's a, it's a violent term. I don't know exactly what happened here. Like, I don't know if the, the clouds parted, if, a, you know, some a beam of sunlight just kind of shone down, right? I, I don't fully know what this was, but it, it was something that, you know, wasn't happening before. And the heavens were torn open. And, and this little phrase, the heavens being opened, uh, I don't have time to go into all this, but as you trace this throughout Scripture, Whenever the Bible talks about the heavens being opened, it's the idea that God intends to bless his people. And that phrase, the heavens being opened, is also uh, contrasted many times to this little phrase that's also found throughout the scriptures of the heavens being shut. The heavens being shut. And when the heavens were shut, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, especially for the nation of Israel, when the heavens were shut, it was because they were walking in rebellion, they were walking in sin, they were not uh, uh, walking in the covenant that God had called them to walk into, and so the heavens were shut. And it's the idea that although God still saw what was going on, and he was still in his great providence and sovereignty upholding everything, it's the idea of like he was not going to give his blessing to them because they were walking in such disobedience. And so again, the, the opposite of that, when the heavens are opened, he says, I I see you, and I intend to bless you. And again, just an important event in Christ's life. And here, here's what I want you to get, guys. It's not, it's not like he hadn't seen Jesus before this, and he was just now starting to do it. The point is, is that Jesus was, was the sinless son of God, okay? Didn't have any sin blocking him at any time with his in his relationship with the Father, although he was tempted in every way, as we are, but he was without sin. And still the sinless Son of God had to hear his Father say, I see you, and I intend to bless you. And again, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, practical implications here. Again, for me as a dad with four boys, <laughs> you know, uh, just confession time, I guess. Um, there's many times, I've gone through different seasons where I've noticed this, where not when I get too busy and when I get not focused on my family in the way that God's called me to, is my boys will come to me and they won't just say, Dad. They'll just know that it takes three dads to get me. And so they just come, Dad, Dad, Dad. Dad, Dad, Dad. And, um, and as a father... I need to remember that my boys need to know that I see them, that I love them, that, and that I intend to bless them. But, and again here, dads, I know it's Father's Day, and, and I'm not trying to put, put, put a weight on you, although there's a lot of, there's a lot of practical takeaways here, but dads, I, and, and to all of you, men and women, but do you, what I want you to get this morning is do you know and do you believe that your heavenly Father sees you and that he intends to bless you. Brothers and sisters, let me say it again. I, I don't know if I can say it, I'm trying to think of a way to like make it rhyme, or make it sound cool, but I, like your father, creator of heaven and earth, he sees you and he intends to bless you. How would your week have been different this past week if you would have lived every moment believing with all of your heart that your heavenly father sees you? and that he intends to bless you. I bet it would have been different. I bet you wouldn't have been as down. I bet you wouldn't have been as despairing. I bet you wouldn't have been so susceptible to give in to sin. Because the love of the Father changes things. God says, I see you and I intend to bless you. Here's the second declaration. 
from heaven. Um, He says, I am and I will be with you. I am and I will be with you. The heavens are torn open. I see you and I intend to bless you. And then it says he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. Now, most people read this is like, we kind of read it backwards and we say, uh, a dove descended on him like the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, if, we, and if we've watched like the Jesus movie or something like that, you know, like we see an actual dove coming down. It, it, I don't think it was an actual physical dove, okay? But it was the Spirit of God descending like a dove somehow up, upon him. And it says, and it comes to rest on him. Now, again, this was not the first time that the Spirit of God came upon Jesus. Jesus had the Spirit up to this point. Even John the Baptist earlier in the Gospel of Luke when uh, Mary comes to meet Elizabeth, her cousin who's pregnant with John the Baptist, and it says that John the Baptist leaped for joy even when Mary came near because she was pregnant with Jesus, and it says that John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit even from his mother's womb. Jesus, if John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit, Jesus was also filled with the Spirit. He, he was, even in the womb, he was the third member of the Trinity. Kind of crazy to think about that, but but he was. But again, what is the Father doing here? It's not that he's now just for the first time, oh, okay, well now I haven't been with you, Jesus, now I'm going to be with you. But he's affirming that he's with him. Again, dads, for just a second, it's like our kids need to know, our kids need to know, they need to be affirmed that we're with them. We need to, we need to tell them that. But do you know that he's with you? And again, there's so much theological work that could be done here, but like Ephesians chapter one says that having believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Did you get that? When you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the full redemption of those who are God's possession. What confidence can I have? What confidence can you have that we're going to make it across the finish line? That God has put his seal on us. Not just in some sort of a generic way, but sending his very life. God himself, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. You say, well, Eric, I don't feel like that this morning. Your feeling cannot overcome what the word of God says. What the word of God says is true. And even when you are faithless, he will remain faithful if you are in Christ. That is the confidence that the word wants us to have. That's the confidence that the Father wants you to have. He is not going to leave you. And again, in this moment, I just feel like I need to say that again because like somebody needs to hear that. He's not going to leave you. But Eric, I messed up really bad. Eric, I really said, I know. That's why he sent his son to the cross. Because he knew about all your sin, he knew about all your failure on the front end, and while we were still sinners, he died for us. And what the Father declares over the Son here now, because of what the Son ultimately did through his death, burial, and resurrection, is true of us, is that he says, I am and I will be with you. The Spirit comes and rests upon him. And that idea of rest there is not just like he's taking a nap, like he was tired. It's like, no, he's staying. He's remaining. He's not, he's not going to move. 
The dove many times was a symbol in the scriptures of purity and peace. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says that we're to be uh, shrewd as vipers, yet innocent as doves. There's an innocence, there's a purity to it. Jesus was pure, he was sinless. We are not, but again, because of his death, what he's done for us, we get his righteousness, and the same Holy Spirit now lives inside of us. He's not gonna leave us. Guys, he's not gonna leave you. I don't care what you're going through right now. He's not going to leave you. He is going to get you through it. He's going to. Do you believe that? He's going to. But Eric, I just can't be good enough. You'll never be good enough. This is grace. It's not about your performance. It's about Christ's performance. About what he's done. He declares, I am and I will be with you. The third declaration, simple but again, profound and beautiful. You are mine and I love you. He says, you are mine and I love you. Verse 17, again, look at the word behold. Behold, a voice from heaven. And again, behold, it's rare when the heavens are opened like this. And it's rare when you actually hear a voice, when you actually hear God speaking from heaven. Again, God's been speaking to people throughout history, even in the Old Testament. Um, God would speak to people, but very rarely did it actually come in the form of like a voice from heaven. Here, a voice from heaven comes. And again, is he giving Jesus new information? No, Jesus already knew this, but even still, the Father wanted the Son to be affirmed in it. And the Father wants you guys to be affirmed. He says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. He says, you're mine and I love you. You're mine and I love you. Um, Again, having four boys, uh, if I'm honest, as a sinful earthly father, there have been times when, ah, just momentarily, just for like a real little bit, I've not always wanted to claim them. Can I be be honest? Okay, I, I know it's really bad. But like, you know, you're in a public place and you're in Walmart and they're the ones running up and down the aisle because that's a good place to play tag or something. No, it's not, but you know, and they knock something off the shelf and there's a mess. You're like, clean up on aisle seven, let's go. Um, again, I've shared this story with you before, uh, but I'll do it again because it makes me laugh. Um, there, <laughs> a couple years ago, Hannah was running in the half marathon down in Columbus and so we were staying in a hotel down there. And uh, we get, we get uh, on the elevator, and we get on the elevator, and there's like a, probably like a 16-year-old girl or whatever with what appears to be her little brother who's still in diapers. And let's just say he had an accident, and you could smell the accident really bad. And so we're all in this elevator, and we're like oh my gosh, and I'm like, you know, what, what is going on? And you can tell, and, th- and this poor girl, this, old, this older, <laughs> this older uh, sister, she just did not want to claim this little guy that was with her <laughs> at all. She just absolutely did not want to claim him, and so she's kind of standing there, and we were like, well, he wouldn't be on here by himself. I mean, he's got to be with you, like there's nobody else, and you know, so literally the doors open, and she just like bolts out, and the poor little guy is kind of like, Okay, and he, and, he, and he follows that after. She didn't want to claim him. <laughs> she didn't want to claim him because, you know, he'd messed his pants. 
I know it's kind of silly, but I feel like a lot of times as God's children, we feel like we're that little kid that's messed their pants and God doesn't want to have anything to do with us. And it's just not true. Guys, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And, and not just here, but in the enti- this entire book, what he's declaring is, I love you. And he didn't just say it, he acted upon it. For God so loved the world, he so loved, didn't just love, but he so loved the world that he what? He sent his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He says, you are mine, and I love you. And then the fourth declaration here, just this last part of that, he says, this is my beloved son. And then he says this, don't, don't miss this. He says, with whom I am well pleased. Here's the fourth declaration. And I'm just kind of putting this into a common vernacular, and, and I, don't, I think I'm being faithful to the text when I say this. Okay? That last little phrase, with whom I am well pleased, I would just put it like this. <clears throat> if I had to paraphrase, he says, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Man, I, th- this one will preach right here, especially just in walking with different guys and being in ministry for a while and discipling guys, you know, for several years. So many guys are trying to earn their father's approval and they're longing for their earthly father to just say that they're proud of them. And it creates all sort of dysfunction in your life. Listen, guys, as part of the gospel, your heavenly father even if you, you don't have to become a missionary and go overseas, although if he calls you to do that, hey, let's go. Let's obey. It'll be for your joy and for his glory. But you don't have to become a missionary. You don't have to be in full-time ministry. You don't have to memorize a bunch of scripture first. Right from the beginning, as part of your inheritance, your heavenly Father, I believe, would, would take you this morning and wants to look you in the eye and just say, hey, you're mine and I'm proud of you. Can you accept that this morning? Can you accept that? For a lot of people, it's hard to accept because we so badly want to try to earn it in some way, and here's the thing, we we just can't. And so there's this weird dysfunction in us called sin because we, we want to, on the one hand, we want to act like we can somehow earn this or merit this, Yet at the same time, deep down in our conscience, we know that, that because of the sin that lives in us, we, we can't earn this. But we'll suppress this down here, what we really know, and we'll act like it's true up here so that maybe somebody, somebody will affirm us. And so we do all sorts of things to try to impress all sorts of people that we really don't even care about anyway, but we just, we want that affirmation. But if you are in Christ if you've simply believed in him, if you've received the good news of the gospel, God declares over your life this morning that he is proud of you. Amen? He sees you and he he intends to bless you. He says, "I I am and I will be with you. He says, you are mine and I love you. And he says, I am proud of you. Okay? Now, let me talk a little bit about the temptation and again, some of the um, implications of this because here again those all that I just said is true and we could tease out a lot of different um, application and implications from that but but Matthew here puts it right next to 
the temptation of Jesus. He puts the baptism right next to the temptation. Um, Luke separates him with a genealogy, uh, and he has a reason why he does that. Um, Mark goes through him in a real rapid fire kind of order. But I think what Matthew wants, wants us to get here, and this is why I wanted to put these two together, is that he, he wants us to understand that it was these declarations of the Father that helped Jesus overcome the temptations of the devil. And I would argue that many times the reason that we practically, functionally, even if we're in Christ, the reason we give into the temptation of the enemy is because we're not living in light of the declaration of the Father. You follow? That everything that the enemy is gonna get him to do here, and I'm not gonna get into, again, there's, there's so much in both all these passages, like the nuance of the, you know, the different ways that he was tempting him, and you know, uh, First John talks about you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and you see those three things at work here. You know, it's the same things that were at work in the garden. But, but here's kind of the big thing that I wanna argue that the devil's ultimately trying to get him to do in all of the temptations, okay? And uh, this has been something that I've kind of, um, that's been, I don't know how to say it, it's just been kind of fresh to me over the last year or so. I, I, I believe I kind of made a note of this in my journal last year when we, were, we did the same Bible reading plan for the E2 course. And um, I put this in my, in my journal entry when, uh, when, we got to this, when we got to this section. It, and it was this, is that for years I, I, I read this, this temptation, this passage here of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And, and I always just thought that what the devil was trying to get him to do was to doubt himself. So God says, you're my son, I love you. And he's trying to get him to doubt him. And that's true, that's, that, that's, that, that's part of it. But the thing that's been impactful to me lately is that the devil isn't just trying to get him to doubt himself. Listen, he's not just trying to get him to doubt himself, he's trying to get him to prove himself. Okay? And again, doubt is, is part of that, but he's trying to get him to prove himself. And I, brothers and sisters, like growing up in this area and the religious environment that exists um, in East Holmes County, and again, I know I'm painting with a broad brush here and so it might not be everybody, but if I had to pick like one thing that everybody's trying to do that needs to just stop, it's this, Everybody's trying to prove themselves. Everybody is trying to prove themselves. Again, just going back to talking about young men, young men, uh, you know, high school, but also a lot of young men that are, that are new husbands, that are new dads, starting young families. Man, if I, if I could just take you and just take you by the cot and just plead with you for a second, look at me. You do not have to prove yourself. Okay? You don't. And if, you live, if the primary motivating factor in your life is to try to prove yourself to somebody, whether it's your dad or whether it's, somebody, whether it's your neighbor or whether it's your wife or whatever, listen to me, you are going to leave a wake of destruction behind you. Because in the gospel, Jesus Christ came and he did for you what you will never be able to do for yourself and what I'm trying to get you to understand this morning is that he just wants you to delight in this and to live in light of it. 
You don't have to prove yourself. That's really good news. Do you know that? You do not have to prove yourself. And again, so many people, not, not just young men, but I see it so much there. Is it, you, do you want me, let, let me point out some practical things, okay? And hear me here. I don't know the motive of anybody's heart, and to do these things in and of themselves is not wrong, okay? It's not, let me say that. Hear me. Nod your head. Give me some sort of response today. I know there's, nobody's here this morning, and we're all half asleep, but just... Um, young man, you, you, don't, you don't have to be financially set for life by the time you're 35 years old, okay? You don't have to have enough money for a down payment for a house before God will think you're something <laughs> or before he'll delight in you. You don't have to own your own business, and, and again, it's, a lot of it's with the money thing, and have all this money put away and make sure your, your, your future is all secure before you can serve him. And then, you know, then, then once you do that, then you know, it'll be all right, and then I'll, I'll be something. Then people will think much of me. You don't have to pretend like you've got it all together. You don't have to pretend like you don't struggle with sin. You don't have to pretend like you have the perfect marriage. You don't have to pretend like you're a perfect husband because you're not. None of us are. And despite all of your failures, all of my failures, I'm telling you, your heavenly father says, I love you, I'm proud of you, I'm glad that you're my son, I'm gonna be with you and I'm not gonna leave you. And again, I just... And I know for the guys especially, if I could just give you one Father's Day gift and not to, maybe if you're not a dad, just a men's day gift. I don't know, made that one up. Just receive this this morning, please. Yes, sir. Amen. Receive that. Because it's what Jesus came to purchase. It's what Jesus came to purchase. He's not gonna leave you. Again, the devil not just wanting to get Jesus to doubt himself, but trying to get him to prove himself. We all long for the affirmation of the Father. The Father gives it. And we face the fight with the devil with the Father's affirmation. We gotta learn to face our fight with the enemy with the Father's affirmation. And when you fail, when you give in to sin, here's what I guarantee you is true every single time. If you'll stop, and again, like we talked about last week, beginning to take thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Next time you sin, okay? It's gonna happen. Next time you sin, I guarantee you, if you go back in the moment when you sin, I guarantee you that in that moment, you were not delighting in the Father's love for you. It's not possible. It's not possible to be delighting in, rejoicing in, believing, abiding in. The Father says, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm glad that you're my son. I'm glad that you're my daughter. I'm going to be with you forever. And then at the same time, go and sin. Let's see, what we try to do in our religious response is, I, okay, I'm sorry that I did that. God, I'm, I'm, you know, tell me that you love me here. I'm going to try to get it together. And so we go out in our best efforts. We try to do what Christ has already done for us, and we live for an identity and not from an identity. Follow?
Um, and guys, let me say this too, just practically. Worship team, you can come up. We're going to close. Is I, man, again, in this, in this passage, these things didn't just start or begin to become true of Jesus in the moment that God said them. They were already true, but God was affirming them. And if I can just, he was affirming, he was restating what, what was already true. And I can't tell you, for those of you that call Mercy Hill home, how important it is that we as a church take it as our responsibility because of what we see in Scripture and because of what Christ has done for us that we are going to create a culture within our church where this type of affirmation is happening all the time. That you have opportunity, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week at any time with anybody that you come in contact with. Again, if you'll look to our our mission statement um, to help every person continually worship Jesus by imparting grace with our words, works, and resources. And like guys, I want us to create a culture here that I believe is kind of representative of what the culture is like in heaven. That for all of eternity, in all of eternity past, you had the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit before anything was created, working and living together in perfect harmony and in affirmation and in love for one another. And out of the overflow of that, they birthed all of the world, all of creation. And it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. It creates man, it was very good. And sin is what, and man's rebellion and, and moving out of that love, out of that affirmation of the Father that he gave to Adam and Eve is what wrecked absolutely everything. But guys, I want us to understand that like every day, like every one of you plays a part in creating the culture of Mercy Hill. And one of the things that I want to mark our culture is a culture where we are continually affirming each other because even though we know it's true I'm not just going to look at Grant well yeah Grant's Grant's been in church a long time Grant knows that God loves him I don't need to say it no I need to say it and I need Grant to say it to me and we need to say it to each other because when we do that we're again we're seeing the kingdom of God come down on earth as it is in heaven This is what it's like. And we have a father that is never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. And again, there's power. There's power in hearing it. Would you guys just bow your heads with me for a second? I would just ask that you would humbly ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you right now and just I just want to give you a minute just to process in your own heart whatever he might be speaking to you from the word this morning and again heads bowed, eyes closed but if you want to not just dads, not just men, but both men and women um, kids I, I would just invite you this morning just as a simple act outwardly an outward expression of faith and wanting to believe and receive all that we talked about in this passage this morning but if you would I just want to ask you just to kind of lift your hands up like this just lift your hands up for a second 
and just tell God that you want to receive his love in your life. We put our hands up like this, not that we're given anything, but that we need. We need to receive it. We need to receive the Father's love. And God, as we close this morning with our hands raised, I just, I just pray, Father, that you would give fresh illumination to the hearts of every individual here of your love for them. That you see them, that you love them, that you're proud of them, and that you will always be with them. And Lord, I pray that this week, as the enemy comes, and as the temptations come, that you, Jesus, would be stronger in us. Be stronger in us than his lies. And help us to remember your love. For your honor and for your glory, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.